welcome to another episode of Records Revisited, a podcast dedicated to the magic of music. I'm your DJ, your MC, the host on the East Coast. I am Ben Montgomery. Joining me is the man who thought he was the king of America, only to find out it was just a boulevard of broken dreams. But don't you dare call him a brilliant mistake. Here is my co-host from the left coast. Here is Wayne Fugate. Meow. Did you did you recognize the uh, the Elvis Costello song I introduced you with? I did, and I would have thought you would have used that that line from this town where it says uh, everybody in this town thinks you're a bastard. <laughs> that that's that's also a great line, but you know, I I, I went with the I went with the the, the the brilliant mistake one. All right, as we do at the beginning of each of our podcasts, I have to ask you the all important question. So, what T-shirt are you wearing uh, today? I'm wearing my Tractor Tavern T-shirt. Uh, great venue, small little venue over there in uh, Ballard, a neighborhood in Seattle. Saw uh, Save Ferris there a couple summers ago. Okay, and it's still around. It's still it is exactly the same. You know, it reminds me of the gym that the that the, they played basketball in in Hoosiers. It's like the smallest venue I've ever seen. It's literally the size of a high school gym. I'm trying to remember who I saw back in like early 90s. Who did I see there? This I, was my first time there. I know my daughter. Oh yeah? Okay. She went to, she saw Jay Maskus from uh, Dinosaur Jr. Oh yeah? there a couple, and when she was in college. Uh, Save Ferris, by the way, it's just like Dexie's Midnight Runners and the fact that you know the show's not over until they play Come On Eileen. Okay. Did they play Gino though? Oh, yeah. You know what? They, I wish they probably I wish they played Gino. They probably weren't even familiar with Gino, just like we weren't familiar with Gino until we did that episode on that KTL record. I should get a. I, my daughter uh, actually keeps in touch with Monique Powell, the lead singer. I should I should get her that information. I should have her check that out. That would be awesome. Would that wouldn't that be cool if Say Ferris ended up doing a cover of Gino? That might make them relevant. That's, might bring them back. Right. All right. So I'm wearing one of my Foo Fighter t-shirts. I do have a few of those. The one that I'm wearing actually today is the shirt that I purchased from my first Foo concert. That was the very last Love Ride concert in the L.A. area. Um, got to see them at a state park in Castaic, California. Shout out to Jeff Johnson. Um, that was, uh, that was a really good time. And, uh, one of the opening bands, which you are absolutely familiar with social distortion. Oh, social D. So really, really good show from, from start to finish with social D and Foo Fighters. All right, let's jump into this episode. So we're going to listen to a classic record and rank the songs of that album, as you know, each of the rankings is assigned points based on the number of the songs. Today's record has 13 songs for the U.S. release, the 12 songs from the original U.K. pressing. So, Wayne, how many points would your favorite song on this record receive? Having been born in the USA, I'm going to say 13. So we're going to go 13 points for the U.S. release. Um, so... Let's let's talk about Declan Patrick McManus, shall we? Uh, yes, the, you mean the king of rock and roll, Elvis Costello? That is exactly who we're talking about. We are talking about Elvis Costello, 
born in August of 1954. Uh, Ross McManus, his father, was a jazz trumpeter who sang with the Joe Loss Orchestra in the UK. He would later perform as a solo cabaret act, and he used, Ross McManus used, Costello as kind of his, his stage name. So skipping over to Elvis, or Declan, when he was 16 years old, he moved to Liverpool. There he formed his first band, a folk duo that he called Rusty. He completed his education there in Liverpool, but in 1974, moved back to London. There he formed a pub rock band. And a few years later, Stiff Records signed him to a contract. However, it was mostly to write songs, not necessarily to perform those songs. And what I, what I can gather from the one article I read said that Stiff Records initially wanted him as a songwriter for Dave Edmonds. However, Dave Edmonds was a little bit reluctant, and we'll talk about one of the songs that he had written and provided to Dave, which is probably why he was reluctant about it. So the company then had Costello and Clover re-record some of his songs, and Nick Lowe, who was somewhat, somewhat known in London at that time, was brought in to produce, and the new recordings that, uh, that Elvis had done were good enough on their own for Stiff Records to abandon the idea of Elvis just being a songwriter. You know, and one of the songs going back to Nick Lowe, one of the songs I most associate Elvis Costello with is, in fact, a Nick Lowe song, right? What's so funny about Peace, Love, and Understand? I, I just love that song. I, In fact, I used to end some of my letters back in the... Uh, the the 80s and 90s when I was, you know, on my mission for my church. When I was in college, um, I used to end some of my letters and emails with peace, love, understanding, Ben. You you can tell how far back I've been an Elvis fan because of that. So any idea how uh, Declan became Elvis? Uh, I had originally heard that he wanted, he was something as far away from Costello. He thought that the, that Costello and Elvis were the two, basically the bookends of, of things you could be. Um, but have, I did not know at the time that that was his father's stage name. So I don't know why I picked Elvis other than, because no one looks less like Elvis Presley right. than Elvis Right. His, uh, his manager at the label actually suggested a name change to D.P. Costello, but he decided to go with Elvis Presley's first name instead. And of course, using his, his father's uh, stage name. So he legally changed his name in 1977 to Elvis Costello, which this is kind of interesting. So about 10 years later, he would then legally change it back to Declan Patrick Eloisius McManus. And you can see some of the, the tracks on a few of his albums, uh, every so often he likes to, to to throw out that this particular song was written by Declan McManus. Like, we're, we're not all in on that joke, right? Weed not the sucker. Right. So let's uh, give you a little bit more bio information on this particular album. Now that we've talked about Elvis itself, let's talk about the album the label had suggested that he share a debut album with Reckless Eric. You would all familiar with with Reckless Eric? <laughs> uh, 
reading the Wikipedia article was the first time I'd ever heard that name. So it turns out he, he didn't make it big. He, he probably would have liked to have been hooked up with Elvis Costello early on. I, I had no idea who he was until I watched Stranger Than Fiction a few years ago. You ever you ever seen that show with um, uh, Maggie Gyllenhaal and um, um, the Anchorman? Why am I why am I completely Will, Will Ferrell? Will Ferrell, Will Ferrell. Duh. So one of the songs that Will Ferrell does in the movie, so he learns how to play guitar, and he only knows how to play a reckless Eric song called Whole, Whole Wide World which it's been covered by a few other people since then. The label had suggested that he share a debut album with Reckless Eric, but Costello had written enough songs to, to essentially fill up a, a, a full album. Costello had, um, had written enough. He was married at the time, had a young son, and to record this particular album, he called in sick to his day job to record the album they cut it in six different four-hour sessions he stayed at his day job as the first two singles which were less than zero and allison were released didn't have a whole lot of success but the label decided to release my aim is true as a full album in the summer of 1977 and he was finally able to quit his day job and become a professional musician Stiff Records then would match his office wages, gave him a record advance, which he says that he used the advance to buy an amp, a tape recorder. Three weeks, I guess, after the release of My Aim is True, uh, it said that Costello was on the cover of a local music paper there in London, and he described that as, I was an overnight success after seven years. Any idea who the backing band for the recording was? Now, I, I do. It was Clover. Um, he hadn't formed the attractions yet. And uh, th- while he is not on the recording because he wasn't needed, uh, uh, do you know who was it? The, what lead singer from another famous band was actually in Clover? Yeah, it was Huey Lewis. Huey Lewis, without the news. That's it. Uh, you know, and, and as far as if you look at the credits for My Aim is True, um, the musicians from Clover were not credited on the release because of contractual reasons. And some of the publicity for the album had identified Costello's backing band as the Shamrocks. So, you know, clever Shamrocks, clover. Yeah, I get, I get the joke. All right. So that is the, that's the UK release. So stiff records, which didn't distribute his records in the United States. Cause Costello was very unhappy about that. He wanted to get more listeners overseas. So in 1977, um, shortly after the release of My Aim is True in the UK, Elvis would go outside of a convention of CBS record executives in London, and he performed the album in its entirety. And I guess he did it so loudly that he was arrested and later fined for illegally busking. And I'm not even sure what busking even is. Like, I, I guess I could have looked that up, but I, I didn't. Any idea what busking is? If I hadn't heard the context, I would have assumed it was something that George Michael got busted <laughs> for at that rest stop. But I'm going to say it's, it's, 
it's trying to sell something too loud, I guess. I, yeah, that that would that would be my my guess as well. I guess um, we can do more research after after we finish recording this. Petty British law. Yeah, exactly. A petty British law. Um, CBS, though, was impressed with Young Singer's talents and and absolutely with his efforts. So they soon gave him a record deal in the U.S. with Columbia Records. According to Costello um, on his website, there is a second version of the album with an identical track listing that was recorded over a two-day period in July 1977. That's when he had his new permanent backing band, The Attractions, and they had the intention of replacing the original tracks on My Aim is True once the initial pressings had sold out, but that never came to pass. So all the release versions of the album continue to use those original recordings with members of Clover as the backing band. I think as we go through some of those songs, so one one of the things that really struck me as as I was listening to the album again, and and maybe I'm just over overly sensitive on this, but there were a number of songs that really felt very lo-fi and maybe not overly produced as opposed to a few of the songs, which like Allison, the, the, the singles um, felt like less than zero was, was produced pretty well. I, I couldn't find anything in regards to, was it the particular session that they recorded it in that may have been more lo-fi as opposed to a separate session that was more polished I mean, with all of the research that you did for this, was there anything that 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 you found um, on the production of sorts? Uh, I felt like the ones it was almost like the song, the stronger songs, they they kind of put more effort or more money, pushed more money at it. Because like I agree, some of the, the 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 lesser known songs, songs that other people wouldn't know, they just came. I mean, they recorded them and and possibly even live but if not they, you know with with four tracks whereas it felt like Allison and uh watching the detective right. less than zero got got some extra some extra overdubs some extra work. yeah and that's kind of that's kind of how I felt about that as well not that it it uh, equated to me giving lower scores I I'm kind of in agreement with you that I think maybe some of the songs that they felt were stronger songs we're, we're going to spend a little extra time on on those particular songs and lastly on this album so it peaked at number 32 on the billboard 200 number 14 on the uk album charts so it definitely did not you know create a, a huge firestorm for this so Costello on the fuel for his debut he said i spent a lot of time with just a big jar of instant coffee and the first Clash album, listening to it over and over, I think it's it's that little bit of ad attitude that that kind of equates with people saying that this is a punk rock album. It it's not. At least I don't view it as such. I can I can definitely view this as he definitely had a little bit of a attitude and swagger, but I don't view this as a punk rock album per se i mean a- any anything that you could say about that i could definitely i can definitely see the clash attitudes coming through on a few of these songs especially you know the more political 
songs. I think punk rock gets painted as a kind of music where uh, with, you know, just chords played really fast, everything kind of, you know, stripped down like the Ramones. But I think some of the punkest things are, I mean, the Clash couldn't really be any, couldn't be more different than the Ramones. I think punk is definitely more attitude than it is a sound. And he, I don't know if I would call it punk, but it's, he definitely was going against the grain and always has like what's popular. Like there's a reason we didn't hear him on the radio here. It's because he's, he's completely, he's, in fact, my first, my first introduction to Alvastas Costello was visual where you would like in a movie or in a television show, if they wanted to show you that this character was kind of outside the edges and, kind of and and rebellious there would be a poster of elvis costello in his room i'm um if you wanted to show that this kid was really into music or this person was 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 fighting the system and not going to play what everybody else was playing there would be an elvis costello poster in the in the room whether it was a radio station or a kid's bedroom or a record store that's how you i mean in my the as a young young preteen, that's where i saw elvis costello and that's and I think that probably comes a lot from not only his music, but that his, his that episode on Saturday Night Live. Yeah. Uh, what What was your first introduction to 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 Elvis? When and and where and how? Well, as I've you know visually um, prior to hearing him, the first the first time I heard him was the video for Every Day I Write the Book, which was I didn't have expanded cable, so I could only watch videos on. Uh, Superstation TBS out of Atlanta yep. when they played night tracks on Fridays and Saturdays. Oh, yeah. So my my the first song I ever heard with like I had seen him, you know, many times before, but the first time I'd ever heard him was Every Day I Write the Book, which because of that, that song had a special a special meaning to me because later as a you know as a as a teenager, uh, an incredible friend of mine, uh, salt of the earth guy received in the mail one day a box of records and one of the records was the very best of Elvis Costello which I I had never heard anything besides every day I write the book I immediately fell in love with his music made a made a cassette tape from that record wore it out bought one wore it out bought a CD wore it out lost it bought another CD to this day I still have a copy of the very best of Elvis me, Costello me too me too do you, do you do you do you know who that individual is? Uh, I'm trying to remember. I think it his name is Ben Montgomery. I, his name is Ben yeah. Montgomery. You know, and my ben, Benjamin Benjamin Aloysius that's Montgomery. Right, that's right, Declan Benjamin Declan Aloysius Montgomery. My first introduction, like you, was every day I write the book. It was at that point where I'm like, this guy's this guy's interesting. Um, you know, he looks like Buddy Holly, but he doesn't sound like Buddy Holly. I don't know. There was just there was something about that song where I'm like, I need to go seek out some other stuff. And I think that's I'm trying to remember if I, if I bought this year's model first or if I bought Armed Forces first. I can't remember which one came first, but both of those albums, solid albums. If I don't know if you remember 88, 89, I really went through this deep dive of Elvis Costello where I even bought some polo glasses 
the, where the where the frame do you remember this where the where my frames were absolutely I, elvis costello frames i i wish i i there's got i, be pictures I will time. i, I will post it. a picture i will post a picture on on our facebook page the uh, records revisited podcast page so that everybody can can just totally make fun of me during that that little time period um i thought i was cool now that i look back i'm like oh yeah i look as dorky as elvis did back then too lastly on on this before we jump into my aim is true this is a really special album for me in fact in the middle of my my home office i have one wall that is full of signed albums and uh, I'm proud to say that I met Elvis Costello uh, what, six, seven years ago. Uh, first time that I saw him in concert was in Jacksonville. Got his first Rolling Stone cover signed as well, along with um, uh, King of America's album. And My Aim is True, and I absolutely had to put that signed signed album up in my in my office it's uh it's very important to me so this is a really great album probably not my favorite elvis album i think i like it this year's model better but this is still a really really important song uh, or a really important album to me this your favorite album by by elvis no um in fact we've we've had this discussion this album though is like it's like scripture. I mean, this is like the tablets that they wrote the Ten Commandments on to me. This is this is uh, as important as anything, even though it's not my favorite Elvis Costello. Just the fact that this is where it started. This is the first one, because like I say, there's very little since then. I took a like you after you introduced me to him. I took a deep dive and there's very little that I don't have, um, at least digitally of his um and that I listen to on a regular basis. Um, I'm, I am like giddy about, I'm finally going to go see him live at yep. my favorite venue, the Paramount in Seattle in December. Uh, I, uh, yeah, there, this, this is like, this is almost sacred just cause it's the first, but his, his early work is to me, I mean, I trust get happy, uh, this year's model armed forces, these are, I, I think, some of the best Agreed. Uh, records love ever it. made. And you are going to absolutely love seeing him live. Seeing Allison perform live, it was he he came out um, at the end of the show. It was just him, his guitar. He walked closer to the audience. He wasn't he wasn't even near a microphone. He told everyone to be quiet. <laughs> so that they could hear him and he played he played uh first he played um um allison and then right after that he played purple rain on the guitar and that that is one of my top probably top five um live music experiences just having that with two of my favorite songs of all time being played back to back by one of my favorite artists so very cool you are going to enjoy it um and don't forget to get me a t-shirt of the band uh I, first thing on my list yeah because when when i was when i when i saw him live uh it was a time period where i didn't have a, a extra money in the pocket 
So I did not buy a t-shirt of the band and I'm still kicking myself to this day that I don't have, I don't have an Elvis t-shirt. All right. Lastly, before we, uh, before we jump into my aim is true, um, Elvis is in the rock and roll hall of fame. He was inducted in 2003 and he absolutely deserves to be there. We ready to listen to my aim is true. Anything else you want to say before we jump into the songs? Um, I guess I, I'll throw this out now instead of later, but I've been listening to his new release, uh, look now. And he is, what amazes me is that he sounds, his voice is really held up. He sounds exactly the same uh on this record as he does on on all that stuff from from the late 70s early 80s it's it's incredible and it has been on my to 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 do list i still haven't listened to the new album is it is it worthy of of listening to um all i i would say yes i've only listened to the first part of it and and i don't know about you but when i listen to something for the first time and i don't know if it's my personality or what but there's there's a, a negativity like what what's going on here and a lot of and I, I would say that about all the truly imp, you know important records to me I, I don't think I with the first listen I never appreciate them if I like it the first time I think or if I just wholeheartedly love it the first time I feels like it it gets less from there whereas if I don't it's fully it's I'm, I haven't explored it yet I haven't really you know heard it enough and get a familiarity with me so i i don't dislike it but once again it's it's i i noticed right away how incredibly his voice holds up it still sounds the same and so it's just going to be getting a familiar but I, the songs are good i mean i don't have anything i haven't turned any of okay. them off i haven't skipped through so anything. i'll i'll have to i'll have to do a, do a deep dive his his albums from the last maybe 15 years have been kind of hit or miss for for me um, the last really good album that I, that I, that I really like from, from, from top to bottom, um, was early two thousands when I was cruel, Re- really good album. It's got 45 and spooky girlfriend, um, on that. Um, but some of the other stuff that he's put out in the last couple of years been kind of, like I said, been kind of hit or hit and miss for, for me especially some of the, the other stuff that he's done with, um, you know, some of these quartet, uh, Burt, Burt Bacharach. The, and, uh, yeah. The Burt Bacharach thing didn't do much for me either. I love the stuff with the roots that, that, that stuff. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah, That was good. Yeah. I totally forgot about that. Okay. never mind. I, I take back what I said about, uh, when I was cruel that, I mean, yeah, I, I did like that album. I for, totally forgot about that. Now I'm, now I've got like listening material for the next week. I'm going to go back and, and listen to some, some, some Elvis. All right, let's jump into my aim is true. First song on the record is called welcome to the working week. Now that your pictures in the paper being rhythmically admired, you can have it or want it. You have ever desired. All you got to tell me now is wow, 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 wow. So let's go back to my original conversation about how maybe Elvis isn't really punk rock, but how punk rock is this song, even though it doesn't sound like a punk rock song? I mean, think about this. 
this song is only one minute and 22 seconds long. It's you throw this on, you, you put a minute and 22 second song as your first song on your debut album. Yeah. And you, and then you end the song with the drums, that, that big enunciation at the end of that, uh, of that song. So even though it doesn't sound punk rock, you definitely have the punk rock swagger going on on this particular song. Uh, absolutely. And I, I, I know it may be cheeky, but I like that the first song ha- is called Welcome to the Working Week. And the last song on the album is Waiting for the End of the World. I don't know. I don't I don't think that's by mistake. But Welcome to the Working Week. When I, I And one thing about Elvis Costello songs is I love them so much that I sometimes don't really dig any deeper than in the surface. Like I just listen to it and love it. And this song I always felt was about like welcome to adulthood, uh, you know, welcome, you know, to the working week. This is what we do at, you know, this get on the ride. This is where it goes. But I listened to the song more and I actually looked at the lyrics and this is welcome to the working week chump. Cause I'm a rock star. You go punch the clock. I'm going to be famous. And I was like, that's yeah. punk rock. That's like, that makes it even mean more. I liked it even better after I had read the lyrics and and really understood what he was singing about. I maybe I just didn't look at the lyrics quite as much on this one that I did for some of the other ones, and we'll we'll talk about my over analysis of some of the lyrics. But yeah, um, that that that's great analysis. Anything else on on this particular song? It, it's a it's just a great way to start an album. It's a it's. It's a good song. And I'm constantly saying this, that you have to come out strong on your very first song. This is an okay song. I mean, I'm going to give this a five out of the, out of the 13. The, the one thing that I, again, going back to the, just the whole attitude of it is this is, this is the first song that I'm going to throw out there. And it's, it's not my best song, but I'm going to throw this in your face that get ready. This is what the album is about. That's kind of how I, I how I I view Welcome to the Working Week. What, what's your what's your score on this? I gave it a seven. It, I, I I like it, but and I don't know about you, but I have a feeling that the top probably four songs of ours are I, probably the same, and probably the bottom four are probably the same. This is a a good song. There's no songs on here I don't like, but this is on the top half of the songs that aren't unbelievable yeah, and just agreed. amazing. All right, second song, Miracle Man. I tried to find any kind of bio info on Miracle Man, tried to, to, to figure out if there was anything um, like, like you said, that was, uh, but kind of beneath the surface on this. I, I couldn't find anything. It, I think it's just a, it is a very, um, it's a, it's a very throwback type of song. This reminds me of like, uh, early '60s, maybe a little bit Carl Perkins, Jerry Lee Lewis type of influence. Um, I don't know. Any information you can share on Miracle Man or your thoughts, impressions? 
I it was funny listening to this album. Other than the the, the super songs on this, I felt this. I I thought the same thing. Is there's a lot of this stuff. I kind of heard a Supremes kind of vibe in a couple songs. There's a lot of that. Jerry Lee Lewis is a name that came to my mind on a, some of these songs. But I I also heard a lot of that late fifties, early sixties, and that's one of the things that's. I mean, this is a guy who's you know uses his influences without knocking them off. Where it's kind of has a feel of something, but it's still something completely different. I love the lyrics of this song, um, as, as has come up in this podcast before. Uh, whether you know me against the world, <laughs> these bitches are crazy. This is a guy who this he's never going to be good enough for this girl, and no matter what, he, and she tells it to him right to his face. And but one line that I want to point out because it's the craziest, but it's so visual to me is when he says. Uh, it, when he's talking about um, you, you always get what you want. You always get what you love. And then he says, "10-inch uh, bamboo cigarette holder with your black patent leather gloves." I'm like, who thinks of that kind of stuff? Like, yeah. I see that when he says that. I see a, a lady with a big, long black patent leather glove holding this big, giant cigarette holder, and I'm like, he just created an image in my mind, and I don't even know yeah. where he would get that image. Like, that's completely obscure, but. I, I actually really enjoy the song, but like I say, I, I, there's an attitude in it of, you know what? I'm not going to ever be good enough for you. Um, you're never going to be happy. I hate you, but I love you um, all at the same time. Right. What's uh, what's your score on this one? Uh, I gave this got a nine. Okay. Um, I give this a six. Um, like, like you, there are so many really good songs off, off of this. So, you know, a lot of a lot of my scores may again appear as though I don't like it, but not not true. All right, third song on the album is called "No Dancing." Oh, I know that she has made a fool of him, like girls have done so many nights before, time and time again. But he's so strange. So do we interpret the dancing as really sex in this one? I initially did, but um, reading your notes about some of the other uh, options and then listening a little bit more and then actually going back and looking at the lyrics, uh, <laughs> this is this is dark. I think I, there are some, there are some lines in there that literally like scared me. Like, I'm like, Oh no, he's a serial right. killer. It's well, that, that was, that was my initial, my initial thought was dancing was sex. Cause I, he, that, that theme does come up on a few of the other songs, but I read, I read from somebody, I think it was on song meetings where they were totally interpreting this as a, it's a domestic violence song and, or this was a a relationship that's based in fear, which may not have equaled to the domestic violence yet, but it's probably coming, you know, and, and the one line where it's in, where, where he talks about, he says, um, even though I want to shake your hand, all I ever do is bow, you know, so there's, there's, definitely that uh that that love hate relationship there and i thought that line was interesting because um a lot of times you shake somebody's hand before you leave like i want out of here but i just keep putting up with it 
uh, but also the line that was scarier was one, in, I think, in the first verse where he says, somebody's got to cry or uh, something like that. I was like, and it was right after that. Like, it's almost like when I read the lyrics, it's like she embarrassed him in public. And on the ride home, she's like, oh, shit, I'm going to get I'm going to get killed. If we interpret this as, you know, domestic violence or a really bad relationship or whatever, I think that that's, again, one of the geniuses of of Elvis and his his songwriting style. I mean, look at Radio Radio a little deeper or shipbuilding. I mean, shipbuilding, perfect example of this. It seems like a really nice nightclub tempo type song, but it's a scathing commentary on the Falkland Wars. Um, from the early 80s and, you know, how these communities in England were getting rich because of the the orders that they had to build new ships to replace the ones that were sunk in the war. But it was the sons of those areas that they were the ones who were on those ships that were being sunk. So there's a lot of beauty of these Elvis songs. And then you start peeling back the onion. You're like, oh, that's that's actually a scathing political commentary uh, or it's a, you know, a commentary about really bad relationships. I agree. I, his, uh, I thought he's brilliant. His some like, just like that one, I think uh, radio radio is, it's a scathing indictment on the, that industry and advertising. And you, if you can't figure that out, then you're just a moron. But this, these other songs, like Less Than Zero, um, possibly this one, there's complex issues underneath these really, really great songs. That, like, I will even admit myself that as a huge a fan of Elvis Costello as I am, there are, there are many songs that I've listened to and I took at face value and just enjoyed them. And then through, whether it be this podcast or other instances, I got deeper and looked at the lyrics and was like, oh, you know what? Wow, he this is a very intelligent man right. who is Agreed. an incredible songwriter. Even with that, I will say that this is my least favorite song on the on the album. I'm only giving this a one. What's uh, what's your score on this? I gave this a six. Um, it uh, it's definitely on that that bottom half, but uh, I I just I liked it better than. Okay. Some of the other songs that we're we're gonna be getting to. All right, our fourth song on the album. This is "Blame It On think that Elvis is singing as Abel? No, I I believe that, I mean, Cain's obviously the first murderer. I believe he's singing as Cain. Um, I got, like I say, this is a song, it's, it's good, but it's not, it isn't anything tremendous. And I guess that's what I've come to expect from him. And, but listening, looking at the lyrics, um, there's, there's definitely, he's poor and frustrated. There's even a little bit of an anti-government sentiment in a couple of the lines. Um, but I think he wants to kill. I think he's mad and he wants, I mean, he's like, not literally, but that, that frustration where you're like, ah, I could just kill somebody right now. Right. I think he's Kane. All right. 
So what is he trying to pin Kane as the scapegoat for? Like, I, I couldn't figure out what the theme was, what he was trying to blame on Kane. I, you know what? And I, I, I guess I couldn't say other than, like I say, it just felt like he was Kane and he was, I guess that's why he wanted to kill people. That was the first murder. There wasn't any murder before that. Blame Kane. I had to do it. Sounds good. This is my second least favorite song. I'm giving this a two. What's your, what's your score on this? Uh, Ditto. I, this is my second to least favorite song. I think that's the, that's the consensus, but we go from second least favorite song to here's Allison. Seeing you after so long, girl And with the way you look I understand that you were not impressed But I heard you let that little friend of mine Take off your party dress I'm not gonna get too sentimental Like those other stick of valentines Cause I don't know if you are loving somebody I only know it isn't mine Allison I know this world is killing you Oh, Allison My aim is true so Costello's single never charted. Linda Ronstad covered the song, released her version in 1979, because apparently Linda Ronstad never writes her own songs. Um, see our previous episode where we talked about Warren Zevon. She had a moderate hit with it, but again, wasn't a super, super popular song at the time. He denied that any of the suggestions that where the lines are referring to murder, where he says somebody better put out the big light or my aim is true, as in pointing a gun at something. He has on a number of times declined to reveal who the song is about. But in writing in the liner notes for Girls, 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 he says much could be undone by saying more. And fair enough. The uh, going back to the single release of Allison again, commercial failure. This was the second single released off of the album. It did at least get the the, the full album released because of that. In his uh, 2015 autobiography, Unfaithful Music and Disappearing Ink, Costello did say, I've always told people that I wrote the song Allison after seeing a beautiful checkout girl at the local supermarket. She had a face for which a ship might have once been named. Scoundrels might once have fought Miss Swath duels to defend her honor. Now she was punching in the prices on cans of beans at a cash register and looking as if all the hopes and dreams of her youth were draining away. All that was left would soon be squandered to a ruffian who told her convenient lies and trapped her still further. Oh my gosh, how depressing is that is that line? And I think, and once I read that, I'm like, yeah, that that's it. 
I, I don't I don't care what he says. I think whether he wrote that after he wrote the song, yeah, that sounds exactly like what it's about. Uh, one last thing before we get to our our rankings on this: the U.S. and the Canadian single versions of Allison. Uh, it said that somebody at CBS in the U.S. decided to add synth strings, background singers, and some echo to the song. I tried to find a singles version of that because I wanted to hear what it sounds like. I've always heard the original song. I was unsuccessful. I couldn't find anything on YouTube for that. So if any of our listeners does have a copy of that, please send it my way or send me a link because I absolutely want to hear what that sounds like. And if I haven't you know, teased it enough, this is absolutely my favorite song off of this album. <laughs> uh, and we are back to back because I this is and you know what I love there's a couple couple songs later there is a song that I really love and I I I gave it a chance to try and you just you can't beat this I, you can't beat Allison this is an incredible song and I will say this about Linda Ronstad um, if for nothing else uh, he she sold three million copies of Living in the USA which yeah. he got a one tenth percent of because of the songwriting credits, which kept him going. And if that's what helped him continue to make music until the re- till more and more people caught on, then you know what? I'll go buy a copy today. The the quote from, from him was, I didn't mind spending the money that she earned me. So again, uh, how Elvis Costello is that, <laughs> that particular quote? Uh, it's just great. Yeah. Uh, yeah. When he performs this live for you, you're going to have an out of body experience. I think it is. It's that good. This is this is this is absolutely in my top 10 greatest songs uh, of all time. So I've heard this song hundreds and hundreds of times. And even listening to this album again over the last couple of weeks, knowing that we were going to talk about this, um, I still get I still get chills just listening, listening to it. So. All right, skipping over to Sneaky Feelings, the sixth song on the album. Now everybody's breaking up somebody else's home. Before somebody else starts bringing up their own. I get you in my dreams, you should do the things you see. It's not that it's so much fun, but it's safer that way. Sneaky feelings, sneaky feelings. You can't let those kind of feelings show. I like to get right through the way I feel for you, but I still got a long way to go. We have here another song about cheating, maybe? I think that's clearly about cheating. <laughs> uh, yeah. If, if you don't catch it from the, the just the casual listen, uh, the lyrics, uh, when you see them in writing, it's it's pretty clear. Yeah, why don't we call it a day and we both we can both confess... You can force me to use a little tenderness, white lies, alibis, now anything, but say it's true. Now we could sit like like lovers staring each other's eyes, but the magic of the moment might become too much for you. Oh yeah, sneaky feelings. Totally, totally another song about cheating. Any any other comments on this song? I I literally my notes say nothing to say. I if it's it may be better than a lot of people's stuff, but as far as, far as uh, Elvis Costello, it's uh, it's it's the, the it's my least favorite song on this album. Really? Okay. Um, I'm giving this a seven, and I'm 
And then now I'm trying to remember why I gave it a seven. I don't know. Probably because it's right after Allison and I'm still on a high. <laughs> that's, that's what I'm thinking. I'm still on the high from, from listening to Allison, but I don't know. All right. So I'm giving this a seven. All right. Uh, next up is watching the detectives. Now I will say this, this is his fourth single overall it was his first hit single on any national chart. It peaked at number 15 in the UK and charted modestly in the US. But this song is not on the original UK pressing, which is why we talked about, okay, is it 12 songs or 13 songs? So this is Watching the Detectives. So Elvis said that he spent a lot of time with a big jar of instant coffee, first clash album. He said, by the time I got down to the last few grains, I had written watching the detectives. The chorus had these darting figures that I wanted to sound like something from a Bernard Herman score. The piano and organ on the recorded version were all we could afford. Great song. Um, and again, this, this is really the first foray that uh that elvis had into the charts itself and uh i think because of that the the u.s release through this particular song on uh on on the album uh this gets a nine for me um what's uh what's your rank on this uh, i gave it a 10 this is this is an incredible song i i also had read about the clash thing i never i never heard the reggae like I say, I heard, I read the story on Song Facts. I think where he describe, where he talks about. I listened to the Clash album over and over again, and that all the only kind of reggae he'd ever heard was that party reggae, happy. This was the first pullet that political reggae, um, and he listened to it, listened to it, and part of his personality was, yeah, I think I can do that better. And uh, he wrote, I'd never heard the reggae in it until I read that, and then I listened, right. and all I can hear is that offbeat strum. It deep in it that just takes over. I'm fixated on it now. I, I probably I've heard this song 500 times. I will tell you this: one of my favorite lines from a song is she pulls the eyes out with a face like a magnet. That's like so visual, and so it's just a great line. The there's reading the lyrics. There is some some dark themes at work here. Some very dark themes. Absolutely love love the lyrics. It's great. Um, I think we're in, we're in agreement there that this is one of the, the, the better songs on the album and one of one of uh, one of the staples in the Elvis Costello catalog. Um, speaking of staples, now we go we're going to flip the flip the record over. And here's another Elvis Costello staple. This is the Angels Want to Wear My Red Shoes. Since the winds have got rusted, 
this was the third single released from uh, from from the album. Costello says that he wrote this in 10 minutes while on a train to Liverpool. He didn't have a recorder with him, so that he kept the song in his head until he got off the train, made it to his mother's house where he found one of his old guitars, played the song over and over until he had recorded it to memory. Uh, if you want a really fun listen, that's a, a nice variation of this song. In 2011, Costello performed this on Sesame Street, and it's called uh, The Monster Went and Ate My Red 2. So he had his numbers lined up from 1 to 10, and Cookie Monster, of course, kept eating the red number 2, creating that counting problem. It is a, it's, a fun little, uh, it's a fun little video. I will, uh, I'll post that on the Facebook page so, so people can see that. Any anything you want to say about uh, Red Shoes? This is the song that that had a chance to beat Allison and couldn't do it. I've always loved this song. I always interpreted it as uh, being about death, not necessarily suicide, but but dying because the you know angels obviously um, the their side of the bargain. Um, I won't get any older. Uh, I looking into it. Um, apparently it's a story about a guy who trades his red shoes, um, to the angels for immortality. And it still doesn't impress his girlfriend, his ex-girlfriend. Um, yeah. Do you, do you remember our, uh, senior year? Um, I, I used to have some red Reeboks. Oh, I wish I did. I wish I remembered that. Were they all red? <laughs> they were all red. And and part of it was because I wanted to have red shoes to to pay homage to Elvis. It was pretty stupid. I, I love the effort, though. I wish I could remember those shoes. <laughs> uh, I did not wear them very often because I did get some. I did get some some uh, people mocking me for my red shoes, and and I always just said, you know, the angels they want to wear my red shoes. The California angels. Uh, the Yes. <laughs> Nolan Ryan and Frank Tanana. Let's see who would have been from that time period. That would have been more like Andy, uh, Mc- Gary Andy Pettis. McGaffigan. Yeah. That was, yeah. Gary Pettis out there oh, in yeah. center field. Some of those guys. Uh, that's a little after Reggie. Uh, yeah. Reggie would have retired by then, but okay. Uh, we digress. Um, I'm assuming this is your 12. This is this gets a twelve. This gets a ten for me. Um, there's just two other songs that I really, really dig more than this, but this is this is a great, great, great song. All right, skipping over to next song, which is less than zero. When I had a number that maybe you'll take him to bed to he's alive or wishes he was dead. Suspect even your mother won't detect it, so your father won't know. They think that I got no respect, but everything means less than zero. Hit, 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 hit. I've got way too many liner notes for for this. 
let me let me try and see if I can I can scale it scale it down a little bit. So this is a political song. This is about Costello's anger after seeing a former British Union of Fascists leader named Oswald Mosley, who was interviewed on TV trying to deny his racist past. Costello said, um, I wrote it after seeing the despicable Oswald Mosley being interviewed. Um, the song was more of a slandering fantasy than a reasoned argument. And as one website wrote, um, you know, the, the, the racist and totalitarian movement is seen in terms of a sub Rosa teenage six teenage sex where the lyrics are turn up the TV, even your mother won't detect it. So your father won't know. And any idea uh, the, the, the cultural impact on less than zero in, in terms of, of Elvis Costello. Well, I know it inspired uh, Brent Easton Ellis to write a movie with the title. Here's what's funny. Uh, I, it is a slanderous fantasy because Oswald Mosley didn't have a sister. How do I know that? Because I Wikipedia Oswald Mosley. I found out years ago that this that, that this song was about you know about that. Um, I know that he didn't have a sister. He had two brothers. The fact is that's what Elvis Costello did to me. Is he made me want to know? Uh, he made me want to find out who this guy is and why is Elvis Costello writing a song about him. It's the most obscure thing in the world, but uh, just, and people should check out also is because in America, the reason he didn't want to play it on Saturday Night Live is because it's America. They, I don't, I doubt they really knew much about this obscure yeah. British politician from yep. the thirties, uh, let alone in America. He also, conf- it was also going to be confused with Lee Harvey Oswald. He actually on the live at Macombo uh, recorded the Dallas version where he changed the lyrics to him to include, to make it about Correct. Lee Harvey Oswald. And, and going back to what you were saying about uh, Saturday Night Live. So this is this was the song that the record label wanted him to play. Um, he, so let, let, let's go back one second. So he wasn't even supposed to be on Saturday Night Live in December of 77 when he, when he performed this. Any idea who was supposed to be on the show that, that Saturday night? I... <laughs> I have no idea. It was supposed to be the Sex Pistols. They were supposed to be on the show, but their visas were denied. Something about their past criminal records. So Elvis stepped in. He started playing a few bars of this song because, again, the label wanted him to. It was it was a single at one point. And that's where he goes, there's no reason to do the song here. And then, of course, he launched into Radio Radio a song that he had promised not to play that as a result got him barred from the show until 1989. And I have two words. Yeah. Punk rock. That is punk rock right there. I don't care what style of music you're playing. That is punk rock. Yep. Ab- absolutely. And you know, he even said uh, later that, um, you know, he wanted an opportunity equivalent to the Beatles first U.S. television performance on the Ed Sullivan show. He wanted he wanted to 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 make a presence. And um, he said that Jimi Hendrix 
had done a similar thing in England when he was on the BBC in 1969. He had scrapped a performance of Hey Joe just after a few bars to instead play uh, impromptu tribute to Cream, who had just broken up a couple days before. So again, to your point, yeah, that's absolutely a punk rock thing. Um, even though you may not sound like a punk rock band, that's punk rock attitude. I love this song. Um, I give this an 11. Um, what's uh, what's your score on less than zero? Oh, well. And as I predicted earlier, we are matching the top. This is 11 for me. And I would also love to mention that to tie this into an earlier episode, his return to Saturday Night Live was when he did a very similar thing uh, with the Beastie Boys. They went to, they played a few bars of Sabotage and then they broke into Radio Radio. Right. And it was, and I think he, didn't he say like the same thing? We don't need to be playing this here or something. Yeah. 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 He re, he basically re reenacted that whole thing and they, uh, I love that's a great video too. seeing ad rock playing the organ. Uh, it looks like they learned that song just to just to do it. And it was yeah, it was incredible. Good performance. All right, let's uh, let's skip over to another one minute and 38 second song. This is called Mystery Dance. Romeo was restless, he was ready to kill. He jumped out the window because he couldn't sit still. Juliet was waiting with a safety net. Said, don't bury me because I'm not dead yet. Why don't you tell me about the mystery dance? I want to know about the mystery dance. Why don't you show me because I tried and I tried and I'm still just a fight. I can't do it anymore and I'm not satisfied. I talked about earlier how Stiff Records was interested in Elvis as a songwriter. This was one that uh, that they had written for Dave Edmonds, and obviously Dave Edmonds was not interested in in performing a song about a young couple who are having their first sexual encounter, because that's really what this song is about. Um, so, so. <laughs> there you go. It, this is a this is an interesting song from the from the standpoint of you know the guy admits he has no idea what he's doing when he's done he's mystified thus the title this is a mystery dance clearly didn't meet his expectations and uh you know he says I'm not I'm not satisfied. Any any uh, other comments on mystery dance? without revealing your first sexual experience? <sighs> well, yeah, what a mystery dance that was. It's a mystery who it was with. It was a mystery how it went. Uh, this song has a much, has actually about as close to punk rock as kind of a, as a classic punk rock sound as he has. Um, but yeah, I, 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 it's not a mystery what it's about. And it, it's, I, yeah. I definitely relate to this. Song. Um, one of, one of my, one of my least favorite songs on the album. This is uh this is a three for me. I gave it an eight. It's I, 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 wow. I like I say, it's, okay. it's on, it's definitely, it's out of those, those four songs that uh, just can't be beat. And it's, but it's, it's right up. It's, it's, I like the song. And like I say, I like the premise I like, and it is, it does have a more classic punk rock sound than, than other songs. All right. Next song is pay it back. (laughs) 
You know, by itself, this is a really good song, but on this album, it does sound a little too much like Sneaky Feelings for me. And and maybe I just really re you know misinterpreted this, but this felt like one of the songs that he would have written for Dave Edmonds. I, I agree with, with what you said about Sneaky Feelings. I think it's definitely... It has a similar sound. It's, uh, but I like this one better than Sneaky Feelings. Um, and just like before, I looking deeper into it, um, this this song is a lot about not selling out to make it into music. I mean, but it's one of those things that you don't hear on the surface when you listen to the song. But the line, uh, they told me I could be somebody if I didn't let too much get in the way. Right. Um, um, but there's also pay it back and there's some other lines in there that that's about about revenge but i i think ultimately a lot of it felt like it was about um not selling out and not trying to be who they wanted him to be um in music yeah i give this an eight i gave it a five it's on the it's, it's on the bo- uh, the bottom half of of the song like i say I, I i know i've mentioned it before but four of the songs on here are <laughs> probably among my favorite 100 songs of all time. So it, it feels like I'm being mean to pay it back, but it's just a, a great album by, by an incredible artist. Yep, agreed. All right. Next song on the album is I'm not angry. What I have to say, is there a better way to say I'm angry than naming your song, I'm not angry? Because he's angry. I don't know. I don't know if he's trying to convince himself or me or her, but he is angry. Yeah, I think that this is a, a song where he is he's trying to convince himself that he's not angry anymore. But when you've got lyrics like you're upstairs with the boyfriend while I'm left here to listen, I hear you calling his name. I hear the, hear the stutter of ignition. Uh, yeah, you're you're just OK with that. <laughs> I, I, I don't think I, I still think you're angry, Elvis. I, I'm convinced that he, he, that he's trying. He, it's, it's almost like a, a, that meditation. I'm not angry. I'm not angry. I'm not angry. Right. Right. And how do you interpret his lyric of there's no such thing as an original sin? Yeah. People have been cheating on people for thousands of years. It's not, it's not, it's not original anymore, at least. <laughs> All right. Um this is on the lower end of my of my scoring, so this gets a four. I still like it, but it is you know, there's so many other really great songs on this album. Uh yeah, I this got a three. Okay. All right. Last but not least, this is Waiting for the End of the World. No light 
any idea who the man from television is referenced in this song? Because I couldn't find any info info on this. So is it is it somebody in particular? I didn't think so. I thought it was the media in general. The same guy that okay, same guy that was telling Mick Jagger it couldn't be cool because he was didn't smoke the same cigarettes as Mick Jagger. It was just, I think it was the media in general. Okay, still somebody telling you to do what you were told, yeah, or to buy this, buy that. Um, this is or, you know this is about a train wreck. Um, so you know that whole uh, people love a tragedy. The reporters always flock oh, to the yeah. I just love the lines on this where it says, dear Lord, I sincerely hope you're coming because you really started something uh, that that I think uh, that I think sums up this song pretty well. And I my one curiosity was not so much about the man from television, but it was the legendary hitchhiker with the funny cigarettes. That's that's who I want to know. Right. Who, who are they? Right. Exactly. All right. Um, so. I'm just looking at your numbers. This gets a four for you. Yes, it does. And I give this a 12. This is my second favorite song on the album, believe it or not. I don't believe it. Oh, well, (laughs) it is. Well, pour one for liquor and poor judgment. (laughs) Uh, Just poor judgment because I don't don't, uh, imbibe on the uh, liquor. Well, then, then at least you'd have an excuse if you did. I, I do have an excuse. Okay. Um, <laughs> you know what? I'm going to have to ask you to explain yourself a little bit better. You just gave Waiting for the End of end of the World a 12. Yeah, I did. Which means it came ahead of which less than zero. Which means and it came ahead Angels of... Angels Want to Wear My Red Shoes. Yeah. I, I don't know. There is just something about the song that I just always come back to. This is... This is one of my favorite Elvis songs and I'm not, I don't need to justify it to you. So screw you. Well, that's punk rock right there. Exactly. (laughs) Can you tell I've been listening to my aim is true a lot lately. I don't, I don't, I don't give a dang about your, well, that's not very punk rock, I guess. When I say dang, Um, I don't really, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) You know what? Just the sentiment in and of itself is punk rock. Right. Exactly. We're going to go with that. All right, final rankings. Do I even need to tell you what the number one song is? Number one with a bullet. It's fucking Allison. Sorry, I guess you're gonna have to bleep that out. Great. Thanks a lot. I'm gonna start. I'm gonna do it again. I can do it again without the swear. <laughs> Here we go. Stop I, laughing. Actually, actually, I want to keep it in so that I can throw in the 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 clown horn again on you. Okay. Then we'll just go from there. <laughs> So Allison, absolutely straight up 13s on on this. Lucky 13. Our number two song. What do you think it is? Oh, uh, waiting, waiting for the end of the world. <laughs> uh, less than <laughs> no, uh, my 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 score didn't didn't uh, upset that too much. That that does become the fifth highest song for us. Not by much, but it does. Less than zero or angels want to wear my red shoes. That that those are actually tied for the second. So those those each get an an eleven. So we've got watching watching the detectives, which is ends up being our fourth, and then waiting for the end of the world because you know I kind of stacked stacked the the score on that. So that gets a that gets an average score of eight. So that's our fifth, which just narrowly beats out Miracle Man, which gets a seven and a half. 
So there's our there's our top songs. And it went other than your curveball at the end. It, it went pretty. I mean, I got to say this. It I'm sure it comes off to listeners as a as a Elvis Costello love fest. And you know what? I I, I am not ashamed of that at all. Me neither. Um, and I and I already foresee that we're going to do episodes on this year's model, armed forces. Yeah, there, there's going to be a few more Elvis Costello albums that we're going to review in in the future. So, um, you know, that's the beauty of all of these episodes that we're recording. You don't like Elvis? Fine, don't listen to the episode. We'll 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 see you at the next episode. Speaking of next episodes, so what are we what are we going to revisit for our next episode? Oh, it's getting close to that time that that hol- that the chill in the air. The holidays are coming. I think we should uh, do a very merry Christmas. Yeah, we're from nineteen eighty seven. Yeah, we're going to release a few holiday themed episodes, and uh, the nineteen eighty seven compilation album, "Very Merry Christmas," definitely a who's who of artists from that time period. Um, let's see, I'm I'm trying to remember all the artists: Madonna, U two, Bruce. Uh, Run DMC. Am I missing anyone? Uh, John Cougar Mellencamp. John Cougar Mellencamp. Yes. So it uh, it will be a fun one for sure. All right. Any any last notes on Elvis Costello? Elvis Costello rules. You are going to enjoy seeing him live. I am. I'm jealous. He is not coming down here to uh, to to Florida at least from the dates that I looked at, but. You are you are going to thoroughly enjoy it. I plan to. So it's been a pleasure revisiting with you. Oh, you as well. All right. Everyone, thank you for listening. Please go support the arts. Go to a live show, buy a t-shirt of the band, buy a record, visit a record store, and not just on record store day. We are records revisited and we are We out. are out.